Welcome, I'm Pastor Abraham, and I want to thank you for tuning in to Sun Valley Podcast. You can check out our church on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube for worship thoughts, devotionals, and the latest events happening at our church. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. Thanks for coming. We want to welcome you again to, to Sun Valley, where we believe in growing faith and building community and in the hope of Jesus. We're, we're really glad that you're here joining us. I know that uh, with the summer months, it's, it's kind of hectic and everybody's got their own things going on and, and, uh, and lots of vacation times. I'm sure you guys have had some time to get away and, and visit family in different places, but we're grateful that you're here joining us for, uh, for, this, for this weekend for, for worship. And um, yeah, we're, we're just, we're, we're, we're grateful that despite the smoke that you're still here with us. And I know that this is probably a good place to be. We're not having outdoor services. Uh, so this is, it's nice to be indoors and, and to not be suffering from, from the smoke that we have here. But uh, today we're continuing in, in our journey through the Bible. Uh, we, we began this journey uh, a couple years ago, back in 2018. And, and we've been slowly working our way through, through different stories of the Bible in our, in our series called The Greatest Story, The Unexpected Narrative of Jesus. And in this series, we're exploring some of the major and minor stories and writings of the Bible, all the way from Genesis to Revelation. And through our exploration of the Bible and these stories, we're uncovering this incredible love of Jesus that is written in every page of the Bible's history. Now, if you've, if you've missed some of our, our sermons or our previous sermons on the books of the Bible, uh, don't worry, all of our sermons from the very beginning, from the very the beginning, the start of Genesis of our journey, are all archived both on YouTube as our full services or on podcasts if you want to listen to just the message there. We also have our reading guide available on our website. So if you want to go back and dive into some of those stories again, dive a little deeper and, and, and have some questions to help you reflect on the passages and the stories, uh, that, that's available for free on, on our website as well. But today we're continuing our look at the book of Ezekiel. Now Ezekiel was this prophet who prophesied to the exiles in the nation of Babylon. His ministry began sometime before the fall of Jerusalem, before the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem, but after some of the people in Judah had been exiled. Babylon had conquered much of Judah already. They had taken many slaves, many people from their homelands, and Jerusalem was one of the few strongholds that was left in the entire nation of Judah. Israel as a nation had already been destroyed by the Assyrians, and so Babylon had taken some people, and Ezekiel was one of those who was taken in the first wave of exiles. And the book of Ezekiel covers three major themes and movements. It covers the first portion, this judgment on Israel for the sins that they've committed. It covers judgment on the nations in the second portion. And, and third, as, is, as most of the prophetic books cover, they, they cover future blessing for Israel, some restoration, some healing that is going to take place. And these themes are explored through six different visions in the book of Ezekiel that he receives over the span of about 22 years from the year 593 to about 571 BC. And, and Ezekiel, like we said, he was himself an exile in Babylon. He was likely taken in 605 during the first wave, and he was a descendant from Levi. He was of the line of priests. He was given this new call we saw last time. He was given a new call to serve God as prophet to the exiled nation. And so we're going to be reading starting in verse 16 of chapter 3. Ezekiel chapter 3, starting verse 16, should be available on the screen for you if you want to follow along and read with us. Uh, should be available on the bottom of your screen as well if you're joining us online today. Uh, but chapter 3, verse 16 says this, at the end of the seven days, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. 
So hear the word that I speak and, and give them warning from me. When I say to a wicked person, you will surely die, and you do not warn them or speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life, that wicked person will die for their sin, and I will hold you, Ezekiel, accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the wicked person, and they do not turn from their wickedness or from their evil ways, they will die for their sin, but you will have saved yourself, Ezekiel. Verse 20. Again, when a righteous person turns from their righteousness and does evil, and I put a stumbling block before them, they will die. Since you did not warn them, Ezekiel says, they will die for their sin. The righteous things that a person did will not be remembered, and I will hold you, Ezekiel, accountable for their blood, for, for not having warned them and turning them away. But if you do warn the righteous person not to sin, and they do not sin, they will surely live because they have taken this warning, and you will have saved yourself, God says. I'm going to pause there. A few weeks ago, we, we read through Ezekiel chapters 1 and 2, and we saw that God had placed a new calling on Ezekiel's life. Ezekiel thought that his life's calling was to serve in the temple as priest. He had been training for that for 25 years, and then he was taken as an exile to Babylon. Now he turns here at 30 years old. God gives him a new calling the very year. Remember we talked about this, that at the age of 30, a Levitical priest was finally installed to serve in the temple on their own. That was their job now. They were finally going to be installed as a temple priest. But Ezekiel was, had his dreams taken away from him when he was taken by the Babylonians. And so five years later, at the age of 30, the very year that he would have become a temple priest, uh, he's mourning on the banks of the Kabar River in Babylon, and God gives them this vision. God gives them a new calling. God, God changes his reality. God changes his calling. And we find that, that in the vision of Ezekiel 1, that God replaces Ezekiel's broken dream with a revised purpose. And his calling is now not to be a Levitical priest in the temple far away, but rather to be a prophet to the very people around him. And so here in chapter 3, Ezekiel is given this mandate to be a watchman for the house of Israel. He's called to, to watch out, and you might be wondering, what is the role of a watchman? What even is a watchman? So watchmen typically sat on a fortified wall or stood on a fortified wall or watchtower. They kept an eye out on the horizon, on the road, on, 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 on everything around them to, to watch out for trouble that might be approaching. They might warn someone of something uh, from the wall coming in or of an invading party. They might warn someone of, of different people, maybe some soldiers, maybe some thieves, some bandits that might be coming into the town. A watchman sat on the roof, sat on a watchtower, sat on the wall, and they would look out ahead and they would warn the people of, incoming, of coming danger and impending doom. And the watchman's early warnings gave people time to prepare for what was potentially coming for what was potentially disastrous for the people. This early warning saved lives. It allowed people to be prepared. It allowed the soldiers to muster together if they needed to defend their town. They, they were given that time ahead of time to be able to come together, defend their town, to preserve their families, to protect their livelihoods. The role of a watchman was, was integral to the protection and survival of any community. And so to fail at your job as a watchman was to allow death and disaster to come on the people that you were called to protect. It was one of the most important jobs in a fortified city. And this is the role that God is calling Ezekiel to. You see, Ezekiel is not just this messenger for God's word. He, he is a watchman for Israel. He is warning the exiles of the danger that is coming ahead. He is warning them of the destruction that the people themselves are inviting through their sins. And because of the nature of, of Ezekiel's calling, there's a high degree of responsibility for him. 
You see, if a watchman failed at his job, the deaths of the people were on his head. He was responsible for warning them. And so if he failed to do his job and they died, he was responsible for failing at his job. And in the same way, if Ezekiel failed to warn the exiles, the destruction that came through sin would be on Ezekiel's head. So here's our very first lesson today. We're only going to have two lessons for today, but our first lesson is this. There is accountability. You see, Ezekiel shared a similar role to that of the prophet Jeremiah. In fact, they kind of overlapped in their prophetic ministries. Jeremiah warned Judah, the people that weren't yet exiled. He warned them of the destruction that was coming through Babylon because of the way that they were perverting justice, the way they were neglecting to care for the poor, for for the marginalized, for the aliens living among them, for the way that they were living selfishly and following their own idols. And Jeremiah is warning these people in Judah, but Ezekiel is doing the exact same job for another group of people in another nation who have, who have been taken away by Babylon. And what I love that, that, that we find about this, this dual prophetic ministry that is happening in one place and another is that God is not leaving his people in sin or in sin's brokenness. You see, God wanted to reach both the people in the holy city, but also the people who were already exiled and far away from the temple who are far away in a foreign land. And this is what we learn is that it didn't matter for God where the people were, whether they were near the temple or far from the temple. It didn't matter where they were, where they were physically or even spiritually. God was concerned with them. God thought about them. God cared about them. And so it doesn't matter where you find yourself today. Wherever you find yourself spiritual, if you find that you're far from the temple or really close by, if you find that your heart is far from God or, or, or that it's close by, it doesn't matter where you are, God is still concerned with you. God is looking after you. God is sending people into your life to warn you of the self-destructive paths that you might be walking on. He is sending people in your lives to lead you to the forgiveness, to the freedom, to the salvation that is found only in Him. And what I love is that there's another part to that too. That not only is God sending people in your life to warn you, that God might also be calling you to be a watchman or watchwoman for someone else. God might be calling you to do that very same job. And you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have your life together in order to be God's watchman. God isn't looking for perfect people. God is looking for people who are willing to go wherever he leads them to speak, whenever he tells them to speak. You see, perfection is not a requirement to serving God. The only requirement is a willing heart. As broken and messed up and rebellious as your heart may be, you just need need to be willing to serve. And God can bring the healing, the forgiveness. God can lead you into obedience. And whatever, your, whatever state your heart is, God can transform it. Even if your heart is unwilling, God can transform it to make it willing to serve him. But this is the thing, just like a watchman was responsible, if they failed at their job, God spoke to Ezekiel and he said, listen, Ezekiel, you are also responsible if you fail at your job. Ezekiel, you're responsible for the lives of the people in sin who aren't warned. You're responsible if you allow people to die because of their sin. You're responsible for the good people that you don't warn that turn to sin. But in like manner, Ezekiel could remove the guilt of their blood, God says, if he warned them, regardless of whether they listened or not. His job was simply to warn them, to lead them to God, 
to try to bring them to the redemption, to the forgiveness, to the truth of what God was calling them to do, whether they listened or not, became their own choice. But Ezekiel's job was to warn them. That was his job. You see, there's a level, there's a level of accountability to the calling that God places in our lives. See, Jesus extends this call to his disciples, to anyone who would call themselves a Christian, who would call themselves a follower of Christ. And if you read the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, Jesus is speaking to the disciples after his resurrection. He tells them, he says, go to the corners of the earth, every single corner, teaching others of the salvation of the cross, discipling them. And discipling means to walk with someone, to mentor them, to nurture them, even beyond just the simple initial teaching an initial warning. And then Jesus says, and baptizing them in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus said, this is the calling for anyone who follows me. This is what it means to be a Christian. Jesus says, you cannot be a Christian and keep to yourself. Did you hear that? You cannot be a Christian and keep to yourself. The very name Christian means follower of Christ. That's what it means. To be a follower of Christ means to walk, to live, to love the way that Jesus did. There is a gravity, a weight of responsibility to this calling. And I think so many of us, unfortunately, have used Christianity simply as a coping mechanism for the world's difficulties. Certainly there is hope. Certainly there is comfort. I believe there is peace in Jesus. If that's where you need to be, hallelujah, that's where you find yourself. But when we fail, listen, this is important. When we fail to let God's story change the way that we live our lives and our own story, we fail to grasp the heart of the gospel. Did you hear that? When we've failed to let God's story change the way we live our story, we have failed to grasp the heart of the gospel. You see, sin leads to death. There's no two ways about it. That's, that's simple. The Bible, if there's anything the Bible makes, makes clear, is that sin leads to death. That's the only result of sin. It's plain and simple. So to leave people in sin without the promise, without the hope of Jesus, is to leave people in death. It is to leave people to die. And a watchman's job is to help people be prepared for the disaster to come, to save their lives through the warning. And Christ's calling for us is to warn people of, of the judgment that is coming on sin to lead people into the forgiveness and salvation of Jesus through the good news of the cross, to take people from death into life, to take people from the pain and destruction of sin into the resurrection and hope of Jesus. It is not a calling to call judgment. It is a calling to bring hope. That's the difference. A heart full of sin without the redemption of Jesus, can only ever experience death, but a heart who has received the redemption of Jesus is brought into life. You see, Christianity is not just personal. It is not just an individual belief that you can have and practice in a vacuum. Christianity, by necessity, must include others. It must include community. It must include reaching out to people who have not yet had the opportunity to find the hope that we ourselves have found in Jesus. If our spiritual belief is just for us, then we've been doing it all wrong. If all we're doing is keeping the good news of the gospel to ourselves, then we have missed the entire point of the gospel. We're called to share the gospel with others, and when we fail to do that, we will be held accountable. You see, there is accountability. We're going to jump back a few verses. Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 4. Ezekiel 3, verse 4 to 15. It says, Then he said to me, Son of man, go now to the people of Israel 
Speak my words to them. You are not being sent to a people of obscure speech and strange language, but to the people of Israel. Not to many peoples of obscure speech and strange language, those of words who you cannot understand. Surely if I had sent you to them, you would, they would have listened to you. But the people of Israel, God says, lamenting almost, the people of Israel are not willing to listen to you because they're not willing to listen to me. For all the Israelites are hardened and obstinate. But he says to Ezekiel, I will make you as unyielding and as hardened as they are. I will make your forehead like the hardest stone. He says, harder than flint. Do not be afraid of them or terrified by them, though they are rebellious people. And he said to me, Son of man, listen carefully and take to heart all the words that I speak to you. Go now to your people in exile and speak to them. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, whether they listen to you or whether they fail to listen. And then Ezekiel writes, he says, Then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me a loud rumbling sound as the glory of the Lord rose from the place where it was standing. It was the sound of the wings of the living creature brushing against each other, and the sound of the wheels behind them, this loud rumbling sound. The Spirit then lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness. And in the anger of my spirit with the strong hands of the Lord on me, I came to the exiles who lived at Tel Aviv near the Kabar River, and there where they were living, I sat among them for seven days deeply distressed. Ezekiel is frustrated, he's angry, he's distressed. And I think, he, I think part of it is this accountability, sure, but it's not just that. I think that, that the pressure is coming on this idea that he has to save these people. He's distressed, not with, not with a weight of responsibility, but he's distressed with concern for his people because he realizes that his people perhaps might not listen. He knew that they were stubborn, he knew that they were hard-hearted. He knew that, that, that what it meant for these people to continue in sin. And, and he knew that if he couldn't change their minds, if he couldn't lead them back to God, if he couldn't lead them into repentance, Ezekiel did not want to see what would happen to them as the consequences of their sin. See, Ezekiel was being called to a stubborn people, but God says, I will harden you for persistence. God says your forehead would be as hard as stone. In other words, he'd be hard-headed. He'd be as hard-headed as the people would be hard-hearted. Ezekiel would be given this divine persistence. He'd be as persistent in trying to lead the people back to God as they would be persistent in their sins. And Ezekiel was being called to reach his own people. There's multiple times God says, I'm sending you to your people. He would be called to warn his own countrymen, his own family, his own brothers and sisters. You see, he wasn't being called to strangers or to foreigners but to people that were connected to him, to people that were related to him. And it's in this, I, I want you guys to be very careful about that first lesson because it's in this context that accountability takes place. Because we can look at the verses of accountability and we can read them as threats and we can be frustrated and angry and think, well, I don't want to be accountable. I don't want to serve like that. We can, we can choose to look at the warning that God gives Ezekiel about the blood being on his, on his own head as if, if he fails to act in, in guiding them into service. But that's not, what, that's not what's intended. It's not meant to be a guilt trip. In a purely societal standpoint, there's already ingrained in Ezekiel a, a social and cultural expectation to care for his people. It's his own family. He should care for them. But the accountability that God extends to, to Ezekiel is, is an accountability that extends beyond simple surface citizenship. God is calling Ezekiel to care for a people. He's calling Ezekiel to care for them on a deeply spiritual level. 
It's a kind of care that fully understands that everything that we do really actually matters. It's a calling that, and a care that fully understands that the state of people's spiritual lives is literally a matter of eternal life and eternal death. And so this is our second lesson for today, and a lesson that I really want you guys to, to cling to. If you take anything, cling to this. Our lesson is that we're accountable to love. Accountability begins with love. The idea of the blood being on Ezekiel's head was, was not a coercive threat. It was not a way of guilting a man and arousing him to compassion. It was not a way of softening a cold, hard heart. That's not who Ezekiel was. Ezekiel already loved his people. The seriousness of accountability tied, tying Ezekiel's lives to their own lives was a way of arousing compassion, of awakening what he already had inside of him. And ultimately, the fact that we're accountable in God's calling for our lives isn't a threat because we're accountable to love. We're accountable to mercy and to compassion. This, this blood on Ezekiel's head wasn't a guilt trip again. It was meant to highlight the great need for compassion because there would be times, even God says it, there would be times where the people would be hard-hearted and would not listen. There would be times where Ezekiel might not feel as compassionate towards a stubborn and rebellious people, but that's where God's grace comes in. God says, I'm going to give you your own stubbornness. I'm going to make you stubbornly compassionate. I'm going to make you stubbornly loving. This calling, this responsibility is a calling to a new way of life. See, when I was younger, I used to think that this calling to preach the gospel simply meant telling people about Jesus. And I believed that once the whole world had heard the good news that Jesus would come back again. So I thought to myself, well, why don't we just fly around in a plane and, and dump pamphlets around? Why don't we stand out on the streets and with megaphones start yelling at people that Jesus saves? But if accountability and responsibility that God is calling to is not simply a, a means of easing our guilt, that's not what it's for. If it was... If accountability was simply a way of easing our own guilt, then doing that, like throwing around pamphlets and yelling at people, that would be enough. But the calling that God places into our lives, it is rooted in compassion. It is rooted in love. And the accountability rooted in love and compassion means that doing the very minimum cannot be enough. When you love someone and you know you're in danger, you're not going to passively, oh, watch out over there. Be careful. Don't do that. Right? I'm sure anyone who has kids who, is, who have had rambunctious kids who run around know what it's like to be desperately afraid of what they might do next. Right? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And, and I know that in your hearts when you see that, when you see your child in danger, you're not going to passively be like, hey, watch out. Hey, look out. Don't do that. You're going to do everything you possibly can to prevent the person that you love from receiving the harm or even the death potentially of what might happen. And so doing the very minimum isn't enough. That's not the calling that God places into our lives. So handing out tracts and pamphlets and doing all that stuff, that might be a way. Sure, that's great, but that cannot be the only thing that we do. Because this accountability isn't rooted in, 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 in easing our guilt. Accountability is rooted in love. And love means that we do everything and anything possible to reach someone. You see, real love, anyone who's been really in love knows that real love leads you to do crazy things. 
Love leads you to go above and beyond. Love leads you to never counting the cost of love. And the call to preach the gospel is a call to disciple people into relationship with a God who has come to redeem and restore and to save. It's a call to live life with people. It's a call to speak through words and through actions what it means to actually be saved by Jesus. It is a call to walk with, to dine with, to feed, to clothe, to care for the people around us. You see, this calling is a responsibility of love. I invite the band to come on up as, as we begin to close. You know, God says that every single human being on earth is his beloved creation. God wants to welcome every single person into his family. And so when God gives us his disciples, that great commission of Matthew 28, really what he's telling us is he's saying, you're not going to strangers. He's saying you're going to your own family. You're going to your own brothers and sisters who are lost in a world of sin. He's telling you, listen, there are people that I love that are out there that are stuck in sin and have not yet realized that there is freedom and salvation in me. There are people out there who, who Paul says this, they're dead in sin who have not yet found the life that is found only in Jesus. And if we are sons and daughters of God and if God cares for them, that means they're our brothers and sisters. If they're our family, that means that we are called to care for them. And this is important. We love because Jesus first loved us. He set the example of what it means to be accountable to love. He set the example of what it means to go to the very ends of the earth, to give everything up, to not do the bare minimum. Could you imagine what it would have looked like if Jesus did the bare minimum? And he came down and he says, hey, I'm here to save you guys. Come on by. No, he went out there. He healed people. He touched people. He died on the cross. That's what it means to live a selfless life of accountability to love. Because it's not accountability to guilt. I want you to be very clear in that mind that it's not about guilting you. It's about arousing compassion in you to realize that there are people in the world that God deeply cares for that are lost in a world without the salvation and hope that is found in Jesus. It's about loving our, labor, our neighbor enough to want to see them experience the goodness of God that we ourselves have experienced. You see, we're accountable to love. Love is the measure by how we act and interact with the world around us. And, and ultimately, when we fail to act, there is accountability. The calling of Ezekiel was to be a watchman for the exiles in Babylon. It's a calling that God places in each and every one of our lives. We're called to warn people around us of the disastrous effects of sin, to lead people into the only means of salvation, which is Jesus. You see, a genuine relationship with God is the only way to salvation. There are no good deed requirements. There's no magic prayer, no, no secret code, knock or door that you can open. Jesus is the only way, the only means by which we are saved. And the matter of salvation is a matter of eternal life and death. So there is a certain level of gravity to this calling. See, watchmen warn people of coming danger and, and in doing so they save lives and to fail as a watchman, to fail at your task was to forfeit the lives of the people around you. And in the same way, God calls us to warn others of the destructive nature of sin and selfishness. We are called to lead others into the way of selfless love, the way of redemption, the way of the life that is found in Jesus. But when we fail to do that, we're allowing our own family to be stuck in death. 
And our accountability isn't to guilt. Please, please, please don't take that away from this. Accountability is not to guilt. Accountability is to love. The idea of accountability isn't supposed to scare us or guilt us. It's supposed to arouse compassion in us, a compassion that reaches out to people that are lost in death, that are lost in sin, that are lost in a world without the hope of Jesus. Love should lead us into action. Jesus said that the greatest commandments are to love God and to love your neighbor. He summed up everything into two categories, love God, love your neighbor. And I want to argue this with you. You can love your neighbor without loving God but you cannot love God without loving your neighbor. Did you hear that? You cannot love God without loving your neighbor. If we claim that we love God, then it should be evidenced by the way that we treat others. And what greater love can there be than to introduce people to love itself? What greater love can there be than to introduce people to the freedom and redemption and grace and forgiveness that we have found in Jesus? You see, Christianity is not a religion that we practice by ourselves. Christianity is not a religion that we keep to ourselves. At the very core of the Christian experience needs to be community, needs to be reaching out to the people around us. And I know, believe me, I know that this is hard. I know that this is difficult. I know that it's uncomfortable. But just like God promised to equip Ezekiel with divine persistence. So God promises to equip you not just with a hard head, but also with a soft heart. A heart soft enough to genuinely care for the spirituality of the people around you. And a a, a head hard enough to be persistent enough in what is quite literally a matter of eternal life and eternal death. You see, we're accountable to God, but God is love. So ultimately, we're accountable to this selfless standard of love. And this should be the question that we ask ourselves every day, two questions. One, simply, how have I loved my neighbor today? And the second, have I loved my neighbor enough to show them Jesus? Amen.